Let's get into the Word. Take your Bibles as you remain standing, please. Turn to Mark chapter 6. And I want to continue in a series uh, this morning, and as we move into this afternoon and our 1 o'clock service as well, I want to continue in a series called The Battle. This morning, I'm not giving you notes, as is our custom, on purpose, so I would have the freedom to uh, go wherever the wind of the Spirit would lead me. But it's my intention to give you this morning some of the blockages that will hinder the move of God in your life that we need to battle against. So continuing this series called The Battle, and it's, it's overcoming the blockages that will hinder reformation in our culture, an outpouring of the Spirit in our church, in our homes, in our families. There's blockages. How to remove those. Mark 6 will be our main text, but we'll look at many others. Mark 6 and verse 1. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And with what wisdom is this which is given him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? And are not these sisters with us? So they were offended at him. They were what? They were offended at him. Verse 4, but Jesus said to them, prophets without honor, except in a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could not do mighty work there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went out to the villages in a circuit preaching. Father, I thank you for what you're going to do. This morning, the remainder of this service, what you did in the first service, what you'll do now, expose cycles of captivity, expose blockages, and tear them down so that we would see the fullness of your power of your spirit in our families, in our marriages, in our children, in our community, in our nation, in our state. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This text is um, as profound in many ways. And so let's just take a look at it. Jesus has come to his home country, his hometown, and he begins to teach in the synagogue. And the people hearing him, we're right in the, right in the verses here, the people hearing him are astonished. They're, what, they're blown away. I mean, they're like, whoa, this guy has got wisdom. Whoa, mighty miracles. So their perception... Their perception of what was going on was signs, wonders, miracles. Who is this? And then the logic kicks in, the reason and this offense. They say, is this not Jesus? Hey, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. Who is that? Isn't that, isn't this his, isn't that his mother? Isn't, didn't we change his shorts when he was a little baby, didn't we? So in their mind, this couldn't be the Messiah because this is Jesus. And they were offended at him. And they didn't honor him. So let me, let me give you four things that will shut down the power of God in your life. Four things that will hinder your prayer life. Four things that will, will shut down the anointing, the power of God, the yoke-destroying, burden-lifting, healing power of the name and the power of His name, the blood of Jesus, in your life. There's an outpouring that's taking place here, and it was shut down 
by their lack of honor and their skewed perception and the offense that that brought. See, your perceptions about God and who he is and his word will determine whether you actually see the fruit of his word in your life or whether you shut it down. And I will tell you, we need a reformation. We don't need a revival. A revival is like a three-day meeting. A revival is maybe an outpouring that's limited. We need a reformation like when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on the door of the cathedral at Wormberg. And the 95 Thesis ushering in really what is called the Protestant Reformation, the justification by faith out of the book of Romans. And it brought a reformation. The whole world was affected and changed. The whole real known world was changed at that time by this reformation. That is what we need. We don't just need a little outpouring. We don't need a few signs and wonders. We need a transformation in our universities. We need a transformation in the elementary school. We need an outpouring in our own homes, in our state, from political halls to the culture and the arts. We need God to manifest His power, and He's going to do it through us. But if we live in a place of offense towards Him, it'll never happen. He said, well, how are you getting all that? Here's here's Jesus' perspective on the meeting. So their perspective is, whoa, mighty miracles, signs and wonders, and wisdom. Here's Jesus' perspective, verse 4. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. So he's like, well, I have no honor here. Verse 5, now he could do no mighty works there. Well, I thought it just said before that that he was doing mighty works. Yeah, that's their perspective. Their perspective, the people's perspective At the synagogue is, whoa, miracles. His perspective is, oh, you tied my hands. See, God's perspective is not our perspective. I'm so thankful for what he's doing in this house, what he's doing in the body of Christ, what he's doing in our midst. There's a whole nother level, though. And honor releases life. Come on, honor your father and mother and have a long life. The the converse of that is true. Dishonor mom and dad, shorten your lifespan. Honor releases power of God. Honor releases life. And so they were dishonoring him, and they were offended at him. It says, verse 5, he could do no mighty works there, except lay his hands on a few sick people. So the mighty works to him was just laying hands on a few sick people, which tells you that laying hands on a few sick people and healing them is not a mighty work. It's just, it's just what he does. I wonder what God's perspective is of a mighty work. So healing sick people is not a mighty work from the Lord's perspective. You see it? You see what I'm saying here? He marveled at their unbelief. What are you saying? I'm telling you that there are blockages to to outpouring in your life. And one of the blockages, the very first one, if you're taking notes, is offense. Offense. They were offended and the offense shut down God's power in the room. My, my, my. Intellectual offense. I've said this before, but I put it in a paragraph to make it a little bit more articulate and clear. The gathering of information to affirm why there's no miracle power in your life, the allowing of a battery of thoughts to make a case to insulate you from the reality of why there's no power in your life is an intellectual offense. So if you don't have power in your life and you're making all kinds of excuses why there's no power, and then you make a theology about how there's no power because of your new theology that you've created, Oh, well, God can do that for him, but not for me. Or God healed the sick, but not now. That's, I'm, I'm a cessationist. You know, there's a whole group of people that are called cessationists. They don't even believe in miracles. 
I remember somebody trying to talk me into the fact that God doesn't, the gifts of the Spirit aren't in operation. It's too late to tell me about that. It's just way too late. Wait, I've seen too much. I know too much. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Is there anybody else that seen God's power, seen God's miracle power? And if you haven't, stick around. You will. Putting into memory how many times there was no miracle power to justify your unbelief. Well, I can't get healed this time. I didn't get healed the 15 other times I answered the altar call, so you stop answering the altar call. Don't do that because it could be the 16th time. That you get healed. You say, well, how do I know which one it is? You don't. You're not God. I'm not God. But we just stand on his word and see it performed, right? But, 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 but if, you, if you begin to shut down and get offended at God because he didn't do something for you. Come on, turn to Luke, the book of Luke chapter 1. Because he didn't do something for you. Then you're going to have a problem. So, so offense. Being offended. I'm not like talking about offense in your front yard. I'm talking about being offended will shut down God's power, and actually it'll bring judgment. Luke chapter 1. Go ahead and put up Luke chapter 1 and verse, uh, let's take it from verse 11, I think it is, please. Turn in your Bibles if you're able. Angel of the Lord appearing to him. Actually, let's take it further back. Let's go verse 7 or so. Okay, so let me leave that up and let me just catch you up. There's a man, his name is Zachariah, he's a priest. His wife's name is Elizabeth, and she's also from the priestly line. They are very old, the text says right here. They're childless and very old. But if you look at the verses just before that, they're blameless before God. And, they, and the commandment of the Lord, they're perfect, perfectly blameless, keeping all the commands of God. Now, I'm just going to say that most of us, I would say that every one of us probably broke one of the Ten Commandments at some point during this week. This is basically saying they were blameless and righteous and they were priests and, and wow. And then it goes on to give this oxymoron, but they're childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. So what does this tell us? One, they have no baby, which is an oxymoron because of the blessing of God, you'll have children. And it's certainly a biblical and Old Testament viewpoint. If you're blessed of God, then you have kids. Now, now I wouldn't go ahead and say that now but this certainly the viewpoint and you see later on when she becomes pregnant with john the baptist that she says my reproach is rolled away what reproach how many of you know what reproach is people look down their nose at him like oh yeah you blame this you ain't blame this you know you're doing something in your house you shouldn't be doing because otherwise you'd have a baby see that's that's why she says she had reproach but when she had the baby her reproach is rolled away but the text clearly says righteous blameless childless that's odd and it says they were both very old. Now, very old means, very old means it's too stinking late. It, it, the, the plumbing's not working anymore for having children. Do you understand? It's not working for her. It's not working for him. They're too old. Very old. Too old. That's all I'm going to say about that. Go to verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving the priest of God. Go ahead, verse 9, and just keep clicking. I'll stop you. He was chosen by Lot because the Holy Spirit now leads us, but then they didn't have the outpouring of the Spirit, so they would choose Lot. It was a way of deciding the direction of the Lord. According to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, they were all assembled worshipers outside praying. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, and standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Stop. First of all, the priests, not all priests burned incense. 
or you would might be, you maybe, possibly would be selection, selected to do that one time in your life and never more than once. And many priests never got the opportunity to burn incense. This is to understand what's happening. So it's a, an honor that he would experience once in his lifetime or maybe never, but he was chosen. And he comes in and he's burning incense and the angel of the Lord shows up. In fact, those that burned incense would be considered rich or wealthy. It was a, it was a statement, well, he's, he's rich because he lit the incense in the temple. So it was a big, big deal. So there he is, verse 12. Angel shows up. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Absolutely right. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now, in the Greek, it says the prayer you used to pray is really what it means. The prayer you used to pray was heard. In other words, Zechariah, do you remember when you used to pray that prayer? Well, your prayer was heard. What prayer was that? Well, here it is. It's the answer. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. What was the prayer? Oh, God, give us a son. Oh, God, give us a child. Oh, God, give us a baby. Oh, God, let my wife conceive. God, Lord, over and over. But he stopped praying because it's gone beyond his, his time. He's old in his mind. He has reason for why it's totally impossible. So watch this. And you're going to call him John, which is also unusual because there's nobody in this family line that was named John, and that would be highly uh, highly, very, very rare. In fact, it would never happen. You never named anybody in your, in your family that was not a part of your family line. Verse 14, he will bring joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth. Verse 15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. I just have to stop and give you a little sermonette on verse 15. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. Everybody say, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Say it again. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Let's talk about great in the sight of the Lord. The boy wore loincloth and ate locusts and lived in the desert. He was great. See, God's definition of greatness is far different than what yours or mine might be. The world's definition of greatness is you've got money, you've got fame, you've got fortune, you've got a job, you've got favor, you've got power, you've got authority, a beautiful wife, or handsome husband, nice car. He's successful. Oh, no, this is not what he had. He didn't have any of that, but he was great in the eyes of God. Greatness in the eyes of God is going to pass on to the, to the ages to come, not necessarily what's great according to your neighbor or keeping up with the Joneses. Come on, say amen. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. It's a Nazarite vow. And will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. Wow, verse 16. And he'll bring many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him. He will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Verse 18, you all with me? Zechariah asked, asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm old. Here's reason. Here he's offended. He's offended. He's got a problem and he's about to get judged. Watch this. How can I be sure of this? I'm old, man, and my wife is well along in years. Verse 19. The angel said to him, you idiot. It's not, it's not what he says, but it is the gist behind it. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak this to you, tell you about these good news. Verse 20, 
And now you're going to be silent, mute. And you'll not be able to speak until the day this happens. Because your mouth will probably screw it up and you're in trouble because you didn't believe. Why couldn't Zechariah believe? It's the same reason that happens for us. How do you shut down the power of God? How do you shut down miracles? Unbelief will shut down miracles. And unbelief can come because of... Unbelief will come simply because of offense. Now, he not only was offended, I think he was wounded, which is one of the points also. Offense. People are offended at God by what he does and offended at God by what he doesn't do. And I have certainly been offended in my life. I have been through lots of stuff. I had an idea of what God was supposed to do for me and how he was going to bring me through. And when it didn't happen, I got offended and I cursed God and turned from him. This was many, many years ago. Listen, trust God and his leadership. Don't get offended at why he raised up some person or elevated some other business. And there you are, grinding it out, week in, week out. Keep your heart before God. Really, be great before God. Practice on expanding your heart for him. Not about how much money you can get. Not about how much fame you have. Not about how much fortune you have or favor or whether people think you're great or not. Listen, get great before God. Let your heart, everyone can be great in the sight of God. Every one of us. And it's an invitation, really. So how to, how to battle the blockages of revival and reformation? Well, keep yourself from being offended at God, at people. Well, this is going over wonderfully. Let's go to Mark 7. Mark 7 is the second thing that can shut down the power of God's miracle working in your life. You all there? Mark 7, go down to verse 8, please. Mark 7 and verse 8, he says, You have let go the commandments of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, says, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother is put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is Corbin or that's devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God. Verse 13, leave that up. You nullify the word of God by your tradition. Now, the word will remain forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will remain. Let there be Okay, let there be light. We have light because God said, let there be light. The only one that can unplug the Word of God is you. Not creation, but you. Made in God's image. That's how significant, how powerful you are. You can either release God's power, or you can shut it down through, number one, through your unbelief, or, or through the uh, a tradition right here. They had these traditions that were shutting down people from, from doing what God would want them to do and it, and it unplugged the word of God. Come on, somebody say, whoa. There's, all, there's two kinds of tradition. There's a tradition that's rooted in truth. There's nothing wrong with that. Tithing. I have a tradition of tithing. Is that good? It is good. However, it can become stale. If you tithe, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. It's good. It's smart. It's wise. 
It's, it's godly. It's biblical. But you can just get in a, a rut of just tithing and not really claiming God's promises and breathing life on that thing. So it's a tradition that's grounded in spiritual reality in the Word of God, but it's become stale or shut down the power of the tithe by, by not believing on and, and activating your faith. You understand what I'm saying? You can lean into the promises of a tither and release your faith on that, or you could just do it and just, well, yeah, I tithe. I don't but you're not really declaring the rebuking the devourer. You're not really standing in a place of life bringing forth those promises. You understand what I'm saying? Very good. I'm, I'm going to go back here and encourage myself. Amen, pastor. That's good. Awesome. Bring life. Yes. Amen. Lean in. Promises. Yes. Yeah, I'm just encouraging myself. The other traditions you could have are maybe not of God. And you need to get rid of them. Now, Christmas trees, I'm just going to tell you, we are never going to sing, just as a reminder to my worship team, don't ever sing O Tannenbaum. If it's in the program tonight, scratch it. We're not going to bow down and sing to the tree. Okay, we don't worship the Christmas tree. Okay, well, why do you have Christmas trees? I've had people that got upset about Christmas trees and and uh, they said, but they're just not biblical. Well, no, no, they're not biblical. But we, we've redeemed it in my mind, and I want to just share it with you, just in case somebody says you should never have Christmas trees. And it's a picture of, you know, evergreen, cut down and dead. When you put it back up in your house, it's a picture of the resurrection. And it's a picture of the, him who hangs on a tree is cursed. And it's a picture that it's evergreen, life forevermore. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. All right, and the lights are a picture of the light of the world has come. And that's really how I see Christmas trees. I don't bow down and sing the Tannenbaum. Does anybody, no offense to all the Germans. Amen. That's a German song for those of you who didn't know that. We don't bow down, but that's a tradition we have that, that, that we've had even before I was saved. Is it okay? It, it, it's okay. If it's bothering you and you're convicted, then go get a Hanukkah bush or something. I don't know, but I mean, you, you, you shouldn't, shouldn't do things that, should, that bother you and convict you. And you, you, know, you let them go. Certain things have life that are, root, that are rooted in truth, the word, and certain things need to be let go of. All right, go to 1 Corinthians 11. When you lose sight of the purpose for which you're doing something, it becomes routine. You start gravitating towards a tradition that will block the spirit. Are you telling me that I'm not contending in the way as I tithe in the way that maybe the Lord wants me to, so maybe that's hindering the full blessing of God? I said, yeah, it's possible. Yes, it's possible. All right, 1 Corinthians 11. Watch this now. Some of, you, some of you take communion as just a tradition. That's a good tradition. It's part of the ordinance of the church. You should take communion, right? You, you can take communion every day if you want to. Just do it the right way. Watch this, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. Therefore, whoever eats... This bread, who drinks a cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. Watch this now, verse 29, are you all there? For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself. What? Not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and have fallen Asleep. Now, to fall asleep, this is written to the church. This is not written to pagans. 
And the Apostle Paul is correcting the Corinthian church, saying, man, you guys are messed up in the way you're taking communion or the Lord's Supper. He said, when you take the Lord's Supper, you need to look at it for what it really is. Now, transubstantiation, we do not believe in. That is a, that is a, a, a theological term that was created. It's not biblically theological. It's a, a theology of the Catholic Church and some others. Transubstantiation believes that when they have the Mass... They meet with the bread and the, and the wine or the juice, and when they bless it, it literally becomes the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, we don't believe that. Otherwise, we'd be crucifying Jesus every time you took communion. Now, Jesus isn't crucified every time you take communion. He crucified one. They're powerful symbols, though, like oil is a picture or symbol of the Holy Spirit. The bread or the cracker, the, mat, the, cracker, the matzo bread that we use here. It doesn't have to be matzo bread. You can use Italian bread. You can use French bread. You can use whatever kind of bread you want. It's a picture, a symbol of his body and that we use grape juice. We're not taking communion today, which is probably good because of what I'm about to say. I'm going to help some people not die. Smile at me. Okay, the juice is, it's not, we don't use wine. And the reason we don't use wine is because we don't want to exclude former alcoholics. When you take communion, you, he says, do it in a worthy manner. Now, what's a worthy manner? It's, it's really receiving, not in tradition, but saying, man, this God, thank you that you died for me. And you really enter into what all of that means. And that his blood is shed for the remission of sins. That your sins are no more. They're thrown as far as the east is from the west. And a man ought to examine himself. And it says man, it means mankind. So you examine yourself and you're like, Lord, do I have anything? Yes, I was a jerk. I flipped that guy off when I was driving. Oh, I was driving angry. Oh, I did this or I did that. And you're convicted. Then you bring that before the Lord and you say, Oh, God, forgive me. Thank you that you died. Lord, I repent. I repent right now and I receive your cleansing. I receive your forgiveness. Come on, and then you take communion. You're remembering what he's done. You're remembering that he's coming back. You're remembering that healing is purchased by his blood, by his broken body. You're remembering that. And then in a worthy way of repentance. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's not what the sloppy, agape, neo-Calvinists teach that you just repent once and, and then you can just go smoke crack and you're still going to heaven. That, that's not even a biblical idea. So you examine your heart and then you, you eat the bread and you drink the cup and you receive his forgiveness, you receive his healing and you declare his soon return. Watch this. For those that don't do it in the way that's worthy, which is repentance, he's basically telling them that is why, for this reason, many are weak and sick and have fallen asleep. Now, it says fall asleep, but what it really means is dead. Except for the believer, it's sleep. It's not thanatos. It's a separation from God. It's you died early because you were judged, because you didn't discern. Oh, it's not popular. I know it's not popular. You're not going to hear it preached too much because it offends people. But listen, the Word of God will offend you so He can raise you up to see an outpouring, a release of God's power to walk in promises and faith and anointing. Come on, you can't just live any way that you want to and expect revival. That's not how it's going to happen. So a worthy way is really acknowledging Jesus' crucifixion and then repentance. But to not do it in a right way is to drink judgment on yourself. I'm not getting judged. I'm saved. No, you're getting judged, Bubba. Bubba, you're going to get judged along with me. We're all going to get judged, but it's not a judgment under condemnation. It's a judgment seat of the believer where you'll be held accountable and, and for how you've used your gifts or maybe how you didn't use them. 
And then, and then there's rewards. There's rewards in heaven. Well, you guys sure are on fire this morning. Turn to Numbers 20. Turn to Numbers 20. Numbers chapter 20. Hey, glory to God. We're talking about blockages to revival. We're talking about the battle. We're in a battle. The first one is offense. Stay unoffended. Don't allow yourself to be offended. If you will allow yourself to be offended, you will be suspended in the plan of God. And the power of God will be shut down in your life. Number two, tradition. Watch out for tradition that it doesn't have God's life on it. And traditions that are rooted outside of the truth of Scripture. And scriptural truth that you're not pressing into, i.e. tithing. Number three, unhealed hurts. Numbers chapter 20, Moses is at a place called Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is where the 12 spies went out. Ten came back, good report. Two came back, bad report. And he's been wandering around for 40 years in the desert. Can't hardly wait to get in. But now they have no water. Again. And so he talks to the Lord, and the Lord says in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 7, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before the rock, and it will give you and the congregation water. So basically, water is going to come forth. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock. And give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded them. Verse 10 now. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, hear now you morons. (laughs) It says rebels. But he's basically saying, okay, okay. You want water? You want water? You can't handle the water. I'm going to give you water. You ready, you stiff-necked, mumbling, grumbling bunch of, for God's sake, he ought to set you up. I've been wandering around for 40 years with you stupid people. You want water? I'm going to give you water. He hits it twice. Pretty intense. Watch what happens in verse 12. But that's the real picture. He's lost his mind. He's so angry, he just can't believe it. Verse 10, and then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, because you did not believe me to honor me in their eyes or to hallowed me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Whoa, go to Psalm 106. Here God wants to bring a flow of water, but because of Moses' unhealed condition at Kadesh Barnea where 10 people came back with a bad report and two came back with a good report and he made them wander for 40 years, I think he's deeply wounded and he certainly had an anger problem, hence killing the Egyptian all those years before. Anger is usually a cover for hurt, by the way. When you're really angry, it's because deep on the inside of you, you're really wounded. Father wounds, mother wounds, brother wounds, sister wounds. Maybe wounded by the Lord and not understanding and and demanding your own way that you should have the baby by now, and now you're far too old, Zachariah. He was wounded, and he was hurt, and he's standing in the same place, and he he just cracks. Psalm 106, verse 32 
They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses. You better believe it went ill. He didn't get to go into the promised land. I read that before, and I thought, man, God, couldn't you have mercy on him? He didn't honor the Lord. It's an interesting picture. He didn't honor me enough before the people. Everybody talks about giving honor to people. How about giving honor to God through obeying his word and trusting his timing? Oh, there's so many scriptures here. He had unhealed hurts, which created an anger problem. Number four, and then we'll get into the application as I close in the next few minutes. Compromise. I am aghast over the amount of compromise that is found um, in the body of Christ. I'm in shock over the amount of compromise that's found uh, in our universities, Christian universities. I'm not, I'm not in shock to find a secular school in compromise, of course. But I am in shock of finding compromise in Christian universities and quote-unquote spirit-filled schools. And I helped to pick up the pieces this week of another life that was totally blown apart. And my job before you is to equip you for the work of ministry and to teach you to walk in all of the promises of God, to walk in a place of victory and power and authority, to help you to overcome and teach you life principles and release life to you so that you can release it to others. So that you don't have to be bound and you don't have to be addicted. You don't have to be afflicted anymore. You're, you can be set free by the truth of God's word applied to your life. And you can have a, a mind that's renewed, no longer tormented. You can walk in power. And these things will hinder you. There's a battle going on for your faith walk and for the power of the spirit of God in our community. There is. That battle, you need to overcome these things. This offense or tradition. The hurts. Compromise. Compromise. Colossians 2 and 8 says this. See to it that no one takes you captive. Let me, say, let me say this a different way. See to it that no one puts you in jail. See to it that no one makes you a slave. See to it that no one puts you behind bars and locks you up through. Here's how you're going to get into, into jail. Here's how you're going to be a spiritual prison. Here's how you're going to be nullified. Here's how you're, it's going to happen through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Philosophy means, pay attention please. Philosophy means this. The way I see it is, I have argued with people who have tried to debate the use of drugs, pharmacia, to try to support their, their walk. You know, I can have peace because I, I do this. Or on and on and on. There are so many arguments of people twisting scripture. So I heard somebody tell me, you know, Adam did drugs in the garden. I'm like, What? And, I, and they made this argument about how, yeah, oh yeah. There's no argument for that. And, and it's a, God gives you every green herb for your enjoyment. Now, I understand there's medicinal purposes and creams and stuff like that. The issue is intoxication, people. That's the issue. So they're saying that Adam got intoxicated through some herbs in the garden. Now let me ask you a question. Why? With, with, with walking with God in the cool of the day. Listen, he was so powerful that when he was walking in creation, he was God's representative. That he represented, he was representing. Think about it that way. When Adam walked, he was representing God. So when Adam walked in, 
creation went, whoa, it's the Lord. Oh, oh wow, close. It's Adam. That, that's how significant Adam was. He had authority, he had power, he had significance. He named animals. When he walked, it was like mighty Adam. Man, God, the God's man is here. Why would he? Why would he need to do that? There's all kinds of philosophies out there to water down the power of God, to reduce you, to make you captive, and to put you in jail. I've known people to argue their point over and over about all kinds of things, insisting that it's God, it's God, it's God. But I'm going to tell you something. Over the 30 years that I've been saved, thereabouts, all the folks that argued that, okay, all of them, all of them, they're all backslidden. All of their families are destroyed. All of their marriages are broken. You can argue whatever point you want to and say how you have the right to do it. I'm just telling you, in the end, it don't, I don't see the fruit, man. I mean, I see it in the Word. I see it in the Word clearly. But then those who have made a theological argument that I can't quite talk them out of, then over time, they're totally destroyed. So that's the fruit of it. The fruit of it's not good. I'm preaching better than you're amening. Watch this. Not even finish the verse. Which depends on human tradition and the basic principles or rudiments of this world rather than on Christ. Christ is the anointing. The power of God. That's what your life needs to be based on. And if it's not, it's based on your own reason. You're offended. You get wounded. Come on, God is God and he's good. Turn to Amos. I've got to hurry. Come on, just trust him. Don't be offended. Don't shut down the power of God through a lack of honor. Don't shut down the power of God through being offended at what he does or what he doesn't do. Don't shut down the power of God through tradition or reasoning it away. Don't shut down the power of God through, through compromise. Amos 2. You ready? You want to write this down. This thing sizzled in my heart this morning. It is abs to me. It's a whole message, but I'm going to throw it out for, because of some conversations I had with some folks over the past 24 hours. Listen to this. Amos chapter 2 and verse 11. I raised up son, some of your sons and daughters as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Stop. Nazarites... Or those, well, John the Baptist was a Nazarite, that he would never drink wine, he grew his hair. It's a, it's a vow. It's a picture of being totally set apart for the Lord. And there is a move of God that's taking place where God is touching the hearts of people to pull them in a place of deep, profound abandonment unto God. There's, an, there's a, a paradigm shift that's taking place. I'm going to tell you what God can give you is far bigger than anything you could smoke or drink. And when you tap into that, and when you experience Him like that, when He meets you in the midnight hour, when He comes and He says, come on, I'm going to show you something that, that, that I want you to know. When He begins to wrap His arms around you, and He leads you, and He guides you, and you experience the touch of God and the power, the power of the of the Lord in your life you will never go back to anything else I'm telling you there is nothing in all of creation that can compare to the living God but there's a whole bunch of people that said well if you have this problem then you should take this drug or do this listen how about letting God overwhelm you and pressing into the place where there's miracles signs and wonders God is releasing those who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and have a powerful walk with Him. And He's calling all of us to go higher. 
He says, I called some of your sons and your daughters to be prophets. Some of your young men as Nazarites. Watch this. It was not so. Oh, is it not so? Oh, you children of Israel. In other words, isn't that true? Isn't it true? And they said, well, yes, Lord. Says the Lord, go verse 12. But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink. And you commanded the prophet saying, do not prophesy. There is a move of, of secular humanism that will shut down the power of God. And I'm telling you, I will never go there. I will never endorse that. I will never wrap my arms around all of that to be okay before the Lord because you have freedom in Christ. It's nonsense. There's a power of God that he's putting out on a generation. See how big a heart you can get for God. See how on fire you can get. Not how close you can get to where sin is and how you get right to the line. If you're looking for where the line is, you already crossed it. Oh no, oh no, you know, you can drink and not go to hell. Well, I think that's probably true. And there's people that enjoy their wine and I'm not going to look down my nose at you. I don't drink wine. Now getting drunk is sin. Period. Now I don't know how you can smoke a little dope and not get high. I, I don't know how. And, and honestly, there's back medications and all kinds of... You know, we consume 80% of the world's uh, pharmacia, I mean, 80% of the world's drugs in America alone. I don't think God wants you to suffer and be pained. Clearly, that's not scriptural. And I do believe that he can, you can use some of these things to help you in a time of crisis, but believe for healing. Do your best not to get addicted. But for God's sake, don't argue the fact that you can do it so you should do it and then it's all good. And don't talk your kids and don't talk in this next generation into some compromising life of a lack of power. I'm telling, listen, I'm going to tell you. I, up until when I got free, I did every drug there was. Now there's some new ones now that I haven't done and I never will do them. But up until the time when I got set free, everything that I ever heard about, I did. Don't look at me like that. You guys were jacked up too. I was born in the 60s, man. I had some issues. And I'm telling you, when the power of God hit me, I have never experienced anything like that. It's just an absolutely overwhelming endorsement and a love. When, I, when he touched me, oh, he touched me. No, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me, he touched me, he touched me, and saved my soul. The things of the world go strangely dim. I grew my own patch. My mom is probably freaking out online right now. <laughs> all that. All of that. Plus. 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 Many times he spared me. Many times where I should have died, I didn't die. God reached his omnipotent hand across and snatched me like a stick from the fire. You can't talk me into doing anything other than serving God and loving him with all my mind, with all my heart, with all my soul and strength. Is that why you get so excited? Yes. Yes. You should feel, you should experience what's going on in my spirit right now. It's like backflips. When you try to make an argument for why you can get drunk and then the Lord still loves you, well, of course he still loves you, you idiot. 
But getting drunk is wrong. Getting intoxicated is wrong. And you can make a theology of it and, and really reduce or insulate yourself from the power of God. I'm going to tell you God's raising up Nazarites. Don't talk them out of it. Don't talk people out of serving God wholeheartedly. Because it's the greatest thing and it's the answer to our, all of the woes of the nations. Well, I have smoked my clock. How to win the battle for faith. To remove these obstacles to revival. God's got to be trusted. God's got to be trusted and honored. Would you come please? Just you. God's got to be trusted and honored in everything. Holiness matters, people. Goodness, living before the Lord, goodness has got to be seen. Holiness matters. Fornication matters. Adultery matters. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Number four, live the abiding life with Christ. You see, if you're really connected to the vine, you're never going to want to do anything but stay connected to Him. And apart from Him, you can do nothing. Pray, have a, have a prayer life, individually and corporately. And lastly, have friends who will speak the truth to you. I have, I have friends, the closest one is my wife. I think my, my children are coming of age where they're, they're not just my children. They have a mind of their own. Hallelujah. They can rightly divide the word of their, on their own, the word of God. They're, they're learning, they're growing. And they speak their heart, speak their mind to me, and so they should. I've been corrected by my kids. Anybody else besides me? That's a great, it's a great day when you get corrected by your kids. You're like, oh, snap, they're right. That doesn't mean all you 16-year-olds start to talking to everybody about how you correct everybody. It's hard to be 16 and know everything. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. Did you get something from the Lord? Develop a life, develop a life that's filled with the power of God. Remove the offense. Get rid of the tradition. Get rid of the, the hurt and get rid of the get rid of the compromise. There is no sloppy agape, and God wants to freight train this generation with his power. And I believe he's raising up people right here, right here to do that. Every young person, every old person, everybody in between, every man, every woman, every child, stand up on your feet. If you're not right with God, I implore you and plead with you to get right with him. You'll never regret it. Give your heart to Jesus today. Repent of your sin. Make a decision to do that. And if, you, if you've done that or you'd like to do that, you can see Pastor Vince is going to be in the lobby. Thank you, Pastor Vince. You connect with him. Good-looking black dude right out there. Here, Pastor Vince, come over here. You help people, all right? You see this, you see this young man in the lobby and help you grow into things of God. You've given your heart to Jesus or you'd like to. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me pray for you according to the word that I just preached. I pray in Jesus' name. Help each and every one of these to remove any offense. Remove the, the scandal on, the, the, the trap of offense in Jesus' name. That they'd forgive and they'd let it go. Secondly, I pray you expose any tradition that we might have in this church, any tradition we have in our lives that's not of God. We repent for that, even not knowing what they might be. But Lord, show us. And Lord, we press into the things that, that are righteous and truth, good traditions. And that we'd have life, they'd be vibrant again. Number three, I pray heal every unhealed hurt. 
as Moses was wounded and frustrated, I pray a healing of those who've been rejected, those who are wounded, those that are hurt, even through church leadership. There's a number of people you've been wounded by controlling legalistic pastors. I pray now in Jesus' name the healing power of God upon your life. Would you forgive them? You can't give what you don't have. It will not happen here. It won't happen here. Because we don't have that going on. Our desire is that you would fulfill God's purpose, plan. Forgive the wounds of your, of your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your cousin. Forgive people that hurt you. Trust God. Let it go. Be healed. Don't be angry. And for compromise, I pray for those who might be in compromise that they would repent. And they would live a life of holiness and encourage others to do so. That the, the Amos 2, 11 and 12 would not be said of us. We would encourage the next generation to be more on fire, more full of the Spirit, hungry for the Word, living in righteousness and truth. God, thank you. Now bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Be gracious to us. Keep us. Give us peace in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll hope to see you tonight.